Curious Objects is sponsored by Freemans. Since 1805, Freemans has been part of the fabric of Philadelphia, helping generations of clients in the buying and selling of fine and decorative arts, jewelry, modern design, and more. Freemans is excited to announce the upcoming single-owner auction, A Grand Old Flag, the Stars and Stripes collection of Peter J. Keim. Learn more about this collection of historic American flags and the upcoming auction at freemansauction.com. Visit freemansauction.com to view the auction catalog and register to bid now. Freemans, Philadelphia's auction house, sharing the world of art, design, and jewelry with you wherever you are. Welcome back to Curious Objects, brought to you by the magazine Antiques. I'm Ben Miller, and with me, of course, is Michael Diaz-Griffith. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ben. So, in our last episode, uh, we talked about baseball cards, which I suggested were maybe the most American thing that one could possibly collect. Um, I was wrong about that, because in this episode, we're going to be talking about literally collecting American flags. And I think that this is a really good development because I've heard a few rumblings from folks that we only pay attention to high-style objects at the expense of material culture. And as a fan of American material culture, you know, I'm quite happy to address that concern. Yeah. Well, this is no, you know, Regency commode. This is no uh, collection of, you know, fine... 18th century paintings. Um, this is a group. Certainly ain't silver. And it certainly ain't silver. Uh, but it is, you know, it's an interesting collection. This is the um, the collection of a man named uh, Dr. Peter Keim, um, who's collected flags for quite a long time and is now selling the bulk of his collection uh, in a sale at Freeman's Auction House. Um, and the, the sale is going to be on uh, Sunday, the 24th. Um, and uh, Peter is a really interesting character. Uh, and, and I was interested to, to talk to him because, you know, he doesn't come from this world of, uh, you know, committed decorative arts scholarship um, that you and I spend so much, so much of our time engrossed in. And that, you know, s- frankly, so many of the uh, people who have appeared on Curious Objects uh, have come out of. Um, but instead, you know, Peter, it seems, is really motivated, um, well, to, to put it simply, by patriotism and by a fascination with uh, American history. Um, and these flags are a pretty interesting way of, of interfacing with that. Yeah, and he's, he's really a collector's collector, right? Because he, he came to the topic as an amateur, and now he's an expert, right? Undeniably. But yeah. that expertise never comes from a scholarly place. I mean, it it always comes from a place of, of passion and a very direct kind of interest, which I was really impressed by. So I think the the idea of collecting flags is pretty interesting in itself. Um, obviously, it's a potent symbol, and you know we're we're familiar with. Uh, you know, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. And, um, I mean, hell, the national anthem, uh, the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, But then we also uh, know about flag burnings, Vietnam protests. Um, We were just talking a minute ago about Colin Kaepernick, um, who's brought a whole new dimension of interpretation to the idea of the American flag um, and and what it means to us. so it can sort of the flag by itself is can maybe be seen as uh, a blank canvas or a, a neutral symbol that it's it's um, uh, the the people who use it are able to uh, direct in um, you know to whatever cause they want to direct it. Well, and maybe you know, maybe it's politically neutral, right? In the sense that um, it represents the nation, but not one particular perspective within it. But symbolically, it's so charged. And, you know, I think that we find that that charge, that that power can be wielded to to different ends, whether they're rhetorical ends or in the case of a flag burning, you know, 
it's the, the destruction of the flag itself only, in, you know, generates more power in the symbolism, right? So yeah. kind of a, it's a fascinating object for that sense alone, that its destruction is such um, a powerful act that it has a place in our culture, you know, we're, through whether we're talking about the Vietnam era or the way the flag is wielded today, it's, it's maintenance, the way it's handled and it's life is, is a great concern to, to many, um, which I wish we could say about more material culture, actually. Yeah. 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 The, the passions run high. Well, it's fun. I mean, it's interesting. You and I both, uh, grew up in the South and obviously there's no shortage of, um, flag related passions in that part of the country. One of the, the, most interesting paradoxes to me it was always seeing the uh, confederate battle flag flying alongside or even on the same flagpole as the american flag and thinking about the message of uh, of these two flags representing well at the time two warring countries and yet taking pride simultaneously in both of them what a what a strange thing to wrap your head around Precisely. No, the contradictory nature of Southern patriotism to the Union is, uh, well, I don't know that I got much further for you in, than you and my thinking about that. I, uh, I remain actually a bit confused about <clears throat> what it all means. I think that we can certainly agree that patriotism in itself to whatever body, to whatever nation is just it's such a powerful force that some people seem to be just as invested in the patriotism as in the particular, you know, ideological character, uh, you know, or value system of, of the nation that's being kind of represented, which is interesting, right? Like just yeah. the flag as a primary force, no matter which flag, or maybe even the duty can be uh, pursued in the direction of two different flags. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Seemingly contradictory. And yet, I mean, it's so the collection is quite large and there are a lot of interesting objects in it, um, a lot of interesting flags. Um, but there was one that really caught my eye that I wanted to, to chat with you about, um, which dates to 1858. So um, apropos of our conversation about the, uh, the Confederacy um, and in the in the decade leading up to the Civil War, uh, American politics was divided along a lot of complicated lines, frankly, that are maybe a little difficult to understand from a modern perspective. Um, but one of those very strange lines was defined by the emergence of uh, what's commonly referred to as the Know Nothings. So, you know, this was a an organization that um, came out of a secret society called the Order of the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, so already we have a, an interest in the flag here. So it's a, a secret society that was uh, initially de defined by its anti-Catholic sentiments. And as it grew and sort of became uh, less secret and more public and more ambitious and finally formed into a political party, um, this organization took on all manner of uh, nativist sentiments, uh, anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic. Um, this party actually, if I'm remembering right, um, catapulted the first Jewish candidate to uh, national public office in the United States on an anti-Catholic platform. So, uh, you know, figure that one out. <laughs> the history of this country is, yeah, there are many twists and turns. And and they they co-opted the the image of George Washington, correct? Who was the sort of ultimate hero yeah. of the American Party, and they slapped it on their flag. Right. It's fascinating to me because you know we're so used to the Canton and stars that, um, in their abstraction, you know, don't speak directly to our history and symbolize it in this you know, very uh, ceremonial or ritualistic way. 
But that's this know nothing flag that we're looking at doesn't have that appearance, right? It has stripes, right? Those look familiar. But then, yeah, although it has a lot of them, I think it's uh, seventeen stripes altogether. Yeah, it looks a little bit like a French sailor's jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and really and but, but with George Washington hanging out on it. Yeah. Which yeah. is so interesting. I mean, you know, <clears throat> you know, by the 1840s, he was a figure who regardless of his personal views could represent nativism in this already historically removed way, right? Um, and to sort of be co-opted just as an image of, you know, father country. Yeah. Almost, you know, practically within the lifetime of many of his, his peers, his younger peers. Yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating flag. I mean, one of the sort of interesting aspects to me of Washington's legacy is that his aspirations to political neutrality uh, open up interpretation of him in, in any number of different ways. I mean, uh, people from all manner of political factions can claim him as a as a hero. Um, and yeah, and these know-nothings were certainly no exception to that rule. And th this flag is, you know, it's, it's as you say, there's a, 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 an embroidered image of George Washington um, that's essentially replacing the little square where you would normally have the um, uh, the blue field with the white stars on it. Um, and uh, above him, you have a, a eagle and um, actually several little American flags uh, with their own stars and stripes on them. So it's a sort of a Russian, Russian nesting doll of American flags. <laughs> I, well, I don't want to lead us away from this flag, but just that phrase, a rushing nesting doll of flags, really came to me just now as an image of flag collecting. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about it and about the collecting practice of your guest today, Ben, is that while we might associate patriotism um, with kind of static ideas about you know, the moral integrity of a native land and a sense that it's unchanging or that it has, you know, a spirit that is um, comprehensible at any given moment in time in one way. You know, even though we can see that in the patriotism that leads to flag collecting, actually, the fascinating thing is that it's, it's an exploration of the evolution of the, the nation, right, mm -hmm. through these changing flags that that change as the nation changes yeah. and and how you know how fascinating that the patriotism of someone like your guest is expressed through this i think very um you know kind of detail-oriented and painstaking study of the twists and turns of yeah. nation building you know including the messy, the messy side of nation building Right. right. Well, and yeah, I mean, he, he set out to collect a flag, an American flag, uh, with every possible number of stars on it, right, between 13 and 50, and actually even some with more than 50 stars. Um, and uh, and as you say, what you know, what better encapsulation of the whole scope of American history than this this expansionist idea, adding one state, adding another, adding another growing the scope of the country and in the process changing its character precisely yeah. and that that growth you know tracks along with so many debates about the the nature of the country's growth right through slavery you know through annexation through the this country's you know few kind of imperialist moments when it was acquiring territory uh, yeah you know yeah. not in the contiguous united states I think there are several different, um, you know, kind of phases in American history that we forget about, and these flags remind us. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole group of flags in this sale uh, that uh, represent the uh, United States of America as perceived 
from the perspective of Union states during the Civil War, in which the stars representing the Confederate states have actually been erased. Um, so in some cases, that means making new flags with stars just for the states that belong to the Union. But in other cases, it means taking a flag that had stars for all the states, including now the Confederate states, and uh, removing those Confederate stars, either, uh, you know, cutting them out, unstitching them, or um, covering them up somehow. Or uh, And it's, it's um, you know, what a sort of poignant, um, because we, we remember, you know, we have to remember these flags are not at this stage in, in American history, they're not mass produced, you know, they're, they're made often at home. Um, and great care was taken to make flags that were in some cases, uh, expandable, uh, because there was an expectation that new states would be added. Um, so they were, they, the flags are even within their own, the, the lifetimes of their original, uh, creators were intended to be living documents of, of American history. Um, yeah. And I think it, I think it wasn't until 1912 or so that, that an official flag was decided upon, you know, so we, there, there were sort of guidelines, but quite a lot of room for interpretation. And I love the idea that you know, the important thing for a given person working on their flag was to create an accurate accounting of where the nation stood, uh, you know, on the given day of their stitching, right? Mm-hmm. So with with the pace of communication being slower than it is today, with there being disagreements about the validity of a certain state's accession, you know, there are so many different contingencies that time and space and the politics of the day kind of opened the flag up to, right? So that, it, yeah. you know, you could have two people... Or, or you could have five people working on five flags in five different parts of the country on a given day in the 1840s, and they're going to come up with five different results. Um, right. And the story of each of those flags is about so much more. You know, it's like you have to look at, at all five to understand the story of the country on that day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so true. And And now we have the chance to, or I should say Peter Keim has had the chance through the process of collecting to add his own layer of story on top of it. Um, you know, he and his son wrote a book about the collection, which captures some of their ideas about it. But um, but we're witnessing right now a transition because that collection is being sold. It's going to be bought by presumably a, a wide array of different collectors who each have their own particular ideas about uh, why these flags are interesting, what um, what's potent about them, and what they represent to us. Um, and I wonder how different their ideas will be from from uh, Peter's, and how different Peter's uh, ideas have been from the generations before him that collected these objects, and before that, who who made them. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it kind of takes us back to the question of patriotism itself, you know, one person's patriotism may mean unquestioning loyalty. And I don't just mean here in America, anywhere. And another person's patriotism may mean, you know, a great deal of questioning of of the object of that patriotism, right? So I love the idea that we can have, you know, a celebratory relation to the flag as a as a national symbol, but it can also act as a kind of cipher for our more complicated or questioning thinking about, you know, the country and, uh, you know, the idea that this collection could sort of, by turns, move through both modes, through both kinds of relationships uh, to patriotism, I think is really interesting. So it's a particularly, I like the word potent, you know, flags are a particularly potent kind of material culture. There's something about them, man, just... Absolutely. It, it gets us going. Well, I, I think that's a good note on which to um, to uh, kick off this conversation with Peter. Excellent. Well, I know it's going to be enlightening, and I know that it's also going to be rather entertaining, because Peter's a good storyteller. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Ben.
Okay, we'll get right to Dr. Peter Kime. But let me remind you first that you can see images of some of the flags from the collection at themagazineantiques.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the episode, let me ask a favor. Would you leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? Those ratings are really important in bringing new listeners to the show, and I would really be grateful if you took a few seconds to help us out. If you'd like to get in touch with comments or ideas, you can reach me on Instagram at Objective Interest. And Michael is on Instagram as at Michael D.S. Griffith. With that said, we'll hear from Dr. Kime right after this. Curious Objects is sponsored by Freeman's. Since 1805, Freeman's has been part of the fabric of Philadelphia, helping generations of clients in the buying and selling of fine and decorative arts, jewelry, modern design, and more. On December 8th, Freeman's will hold its American Art and Pennsylvania Impressionists auction, featuring works by some of the most recognizable names in the field, including N.C. Wyeth, Mary Cassatt, Hans Hoffman, and notable Pennsylvania Impressionists such as Fern Coppage and Daniel Garber. Visit freemansauction.com to view the auction catalog and register to bid now. Freeman's, Philadelphia's auction house, sharing the world of art, design, and jewelry with you wherever you are. You're a grand old rag, you're a high-flying flag, and forever in peace may you wave. You're the emblem of the land I love, the home of the free and the brave. I want to start out by asking, you know, I know you have a couple of flags from your collection that are uh, special objects that um, uh, that you are going to tell me about, uh, but I want to start out with a couple of broader questions about uh, how you got into um, this area of interest um, and uh, what exactly, you know, the collection means to you. Because it's interesting, I, you know, I have people on this podcast who talk about um, furniture and they talk about painting and, you know, I'm a silver dealer. And uh, a lot of these areas of collecting are objects that are somehow useful um, or in the case of paintings, they may be uh, telling intricate stories. Uh, they may be, you know, highly decorative objects. Flags strike me as a little bit different than any of those categories. Um, they certainly can serve a functional purpose out in the world, but in a collection, uh, what, what, what is the draw? What's the appeal? What, um, uh, what do you see in a flag? It's a great question. Um, my wife and I um, collected antiques, uh, furniture, lighting, rugs, uh, you name it, uh, we collected it. Uh, but we collected it to furnish um, a ho- ho- our home, um, and we had a 18th century house built uh, for us in uh, north, uh, rather than southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, my background's in medicine. I practice family medicine uh, for... Uh, 25 or so years, and um, uh, we had five children, and so we were uh, busy into uh, day-to-day life, uh, but antiques uh, intrigued us. Um, And back in uh, 1974, in the summer, we went to a farm sale up in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, which is uh, north-central Pennsylvania, above Allentown. Uh, It's a heavily Amish area, and uh, there was a farm sale going on, and uh, we had seen in the newspaper ad uh, that it sounded like there was some interesting furniture in it, so we drove up from Pittsburgh. Uh, In the course of the afternoon, uh, I came upon a table uh, filled with little glass objects, which didn't particularly interest me, but I saw a flag, uh, an old flag in a paper bag, and for whatever reason, I asked the uh, uh, farm uh, lady, uh, um, how much you wanted for it? She said fifty dollars. I said, "Well, I'll give you forty And she took it. I think mainly because it was starting to rain, and she wanted to get back in the farmhouse. Anyway, um, I didn't bother taking it out of the bag actually to uh, before I even negotiated it. Nor when I bought it, and I took it and put it in the back of our station wagon with uh, all the other uh, treasures. Uh, that we had found during the course of the day, maybe a desk or a chair or table or whatever. And when we got back to Pittsburgh that night and run loading the treasures, uh, 
I pulled the paper bag out and took it in the house and uh, took the flag out of it and uh, realized that it looked like I had a hand-sewn 13-star flag. Did you know how... Okay, I was going to ask. Did you know what a rarity that would be? No. I mean, truly not knowing anything about textiles, um, sewing methods, um, or fabrics. Um, I really didn't know anything about it. But it had uh, what, you know, with furniture, we called a patina uh, to it, intrigued me. And uh, I became quite inquisitive about it. I start, uh, bought a couple books. Uh, you know, there wasn't much available back then in 74 uh, in the way of information access. Uh, I went to the library, um, saw there were a couple older books that they didn't have, so I found them um, uh, through a book dealer and bought them and started reading those. And then I started looking for a textile expert. Um, and after about nine or ten months later, I came upon a uh, conservator by the name of Fonda Thompson. Uh, Fonda lived in Sharpsburg, Maryland. Uh, and um, it turned out that I was her family's family doctor in, in Pittsburgh. Right. And, 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 uh, and Sorry, in that nine or ten months, had you uh, looked at any other flags? Had you, no. you know, put this one under a magnifying glass? Or was it well, it was, under a magnif it, was under a, it was under, so to speak, magnifying glass uh, by me, but uh, uh, not uh, actually, uh, because I didn't know what to look for. Uh, but uh, once I came upon Fonda and uh, uh, that Christmas Eve uh, at her parents' house, uh, uh, we looked at the flag together, and uh, she recognized it as probably around an 1860 uh, version and hand-sewn uh, flag originating from Pennsylvania. Um, and um, she estimated at that time that it was that that was the age, which is really what I was interested in. But she also casually mentioned that it was probably worth around ten thousand um, dollars. In nineteen seventy-four, that was real money. Yeah, well, absolutely. And um, then I don't know how much later um, I happened upon a second flag and bought it, and uh, then it just uh, totally uh, went out of control. Yeah. <laughs> and. and built up to the point where you now have, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere on the order of 400 flags in your collection. Yes. Um, and it was after a period of time of doing a lot of reading, collecting a lot of old books, um, doing as much reading as I could about the history of the flag, um, I decided that uh, where I wanted to go with the collection was I wanted to gather a collection uh, including every number of stars from 13 to 50. Uh -huh. Now, as you may know, uh, there never was supposed to be a 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 39, 40, 41, 42, or 22, or 47 star flag. Uh, is, is that because states were admitted at the same time? Well, uh, with the first Flag Act, we had 13. Then the second Flag Act increased it to 15. So Congress never said anything about a 14-star flag. And then we went from 15 to 20 um, uh, back in, eight, in the early 1800s. Um, and then um, at that time, we said that the Congress said that a star would be added for each new state, but not until the following 4th of July. So that meant that if more than one state was admitted between one 4th of July and the next one, all those stars should be added at the same time. Uh, okay. But, but I imagine that there were aberrations and exceptions and people making flags that didn't conform. Well, what happened was that when a state was admitted to the Union, uh, grandma or who, the flag maker at home um, made a flag and put a star on it uh, for mm -hmm. it, pride for be statehood. Um, so over the period of time, I did gather 
representative flags from, with every number of stars. And that's sort of where the collection was going, and I was doing a lot of reading. I was doing a little bit of lecturing, mostly with school kids, about uh, the history of the flag. But then one thing really changed the course of course of all of it. I have always been a fan of New York and go there quite often. I'm a big New York Yankee fan. Uh, I hate to say that after the last few days. But we were in New York two days before 9-11 and happened to return to Pittsburgh uh, on Sunday, two days before it. Um, but then over the ensuing uh, six months, um, a couple things happened. Uh, one, I was contacted uh, to for uh, artifacts to include in the traveling exhibit, and um, that worked out. And then um, I got the idea that I ought to show my sympathy to New York. Uh, so I contacted three of the department stores, Bergdorf, Sachs, and Barney's, and told them that I had some uh, flags, historic flags, and I'd be glad to loan them at no cost to them uh, for their windows for the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, well, uh, Bergdorf's contacted me, David Hoey, uh, and uh, one thing led to another. Uh, we met, I showed him some flags, and uh, what came to be was for the only time in the history of Bergdorf's, they took all of their merchandise out of the windows and decorated all of their windows on Fifth Avenue with just my flags. Wow. Um, and that was in 2002? That was in 2002, September of 2002. Um, and then uh, in the course of that exhibit, I was standing on the corner on the street one day uh, with my wife, and we were just watching people go by and look at the windows, and a woman came from one direction who happened to be African-American and uh, another woman came the other direction happened to be Asian and they started talking to each other at the window and with, you know you just didn't see that in New York City um, yeah. and pretty soon the one put her arm around the other one because she was sobbing um, and one thing that really struck us that was that uh, the passion that we feel for our flag without knowing very much about the history of it. Um, so something really changed the, between 2000 and 2002 in, in the way that you approach the idea of, of building this collection. No, it didn't involve building the collection because the collection was pretty well built by that time. Uh, what, it, what it told us that was that there was a need to educate Americans about the history of our flag. Um, and that, what that led to was uh, uh, my son and I uh, wrote and had published by DK uh, our book on the history of the American flag uh, titled A Grand Old Flag. And it also uh, started a run of doing exhibitions in museums and other venues um, with the flags, as well as uh, uh, increased amount of public speaking on the history of the flag. Um, and that's sort of where the collection took me and itself. Um, and over the last 20 years, we've done exhibitions in numerous uh, museums across the country uh, and other venues. Uh, we did uh, Bergdorf's windows again uh, um, in 2008. Um, but um, that's, that's what's been going on. And along the way, obviously, I never did stop collecting because there are so many uh, iterations of the American flag, um, especially being that it wasn't until we had 48 stars uh, that uh, we were told how the stars were to be arranged. Right. There were there were no regulations about the placement of the stars in the field. No. And some of the most some of the interesting flags that I have, um, I mean, have red, white, and blue stripes. Some of them have a white canton with red stri red stars. Some of them have an eagle in the middle of the field. Uh, any number of 
folk-like renditions uh, of what's exactly the American flag. Um, so that when you look at these iterations or renditions of it, you might say to yourself, being if you're a purist, you might say, oh, that's not an American flag. But if you show that flag to 99% of Americans, they'll say, yes, that's an American flag. American flag. So I want to circle back in a minute to talk a little bit more about the specifics of some of the flags in your collection. But I'm, I'm really interested in this idea that you brought up just a minute ago, that while while you were watching this conversation happen in front of the display of Bergdorf, uh, you realized that the flag was really an important uh, symbol and something that was important to know about and learn about. Um, and I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit more about that. Um, what What do you think it is that you can learn about America or about us uh, by by studying the flag? Well, I think one of the things that it woke me up to that I've been quoted uh, for was a statement that sort of sounds startling at first, uh, but then when you think about it, it's quite apparently true. Um, And that is that the flag means more to you and me than it did to George Washington. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, back in the late 18th century, the use of the American flag was on mostly on uh, boats, sailing vessels, uh, to indicate that uh, where they were from. Um, it's pretty well known fact by historians that the Stars and Stripes was not carried in the American Revolution. Um, they weren't uh, just it just wasn't there at the time uh, or seen a value uh, of use. Um, And that's evolved so tremendously to, if you think about to the Civil War, uh, the person that carried the flag into battle did it very proudly and knew most likely that they were going to be the first one to get shot. Um, And when they were shot, uh, what happened? Uh, somebody else picked up the flag. Which is a powerful act of symbolism that you're willing to make that sacrifice. Yes. Yes. But you're saying in the days of the revolution that was um, an unknown practice. No, it was, yes. It wasn't a known practice. Well, it was known that Washington had... Uh, pleaded with the Quartermaster Corps to provide more fifes, drums, and standards, what flags were called at the time. But it really didn't happen. The paintings that we see of, uh, we painting we see of Washington crossing the Potomac, um, not the Potomac, the Delaware, uh, Washington crossing the Delaware uh, with a flag draped over the shoulder of the person behind him was not factual. Uh, that painting actually was made a hundred years later. Uh, they didn't have an, uh, stars and stripes crossing the Delaware. So what changed in between 1780 and 1860? Um, a number of things. Um, people, um, the flag uh, became uh, more apparent to people. Uh, as uh, states were admitted to the Union, um, you know, declarations were made as to what was to happen with the flag. Uh, we had Fort McHenry, uh, where uh, the Star Spangled Banner uh, was uh, written uh, and uh, portrayed uh, the flag at Fort McHenry. Um, and people became much more aware of it for uh, for what it is uh, to America. Um, in the Civil War, uh, people started uh, displaying the American flag in their uh, front of their homes. Uh, oftentimes, uh, because they were in marginal states, and they wanted the Union soldiers to know as they came through their town that they were unionists, uh, so don't burn down our house, we're behind you. Um, so that there were a lot, of, a lot of reasons why the American flag became uh, more significant uh, as 
as time evolved. Um, and then uh, beyond the uh, Civil War, we then came to the centennial period, a period of celebration, uh, when uh, the uh, display of flags um, increased uh, substantially. So, um, coming back to your collection, then, you, as we mentioned, you have innumerable flags, and each one of them, I'm sure, has its own story to tell. But there are a couple of pieces that um, stood out that you were going to tell me about um, that have a, a particular, particularly interesting story behind them. Um, so could, could you uh, tell me what are, what, what are the flags that you have in mind? Well, there are a number of them. In fact, it's... it's uh, uh, I know, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... It, it's it's going to be hard to uh, restrain yourself to just a couple, I'm sure. I know. Uh, but, you know, uh, most of the collection is stored in archival boxes, uh, carefully folded and wrapped in uh, acid-free paper. And uh, oftentimes, as I'm going through looking for one particular flag uh, to include in an exhibition, I'll open up another one by mistake and look at it and say to myself, wow, I forgot about this one. Uh, and, that, and that really happens often. But a couple that's, flags... That's a familiar story for a lot of collectors, I think. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, I know. But a couple of flags that I'll tell you about. I have a 33-star flag um, where there are six horizontal rows of five stars, but to the left of those rows from the top are three stars coming down um, in the top three rows. So it has obvious space for three more stars. Okay, but the other significant thing about this flag was that it was carried at the first battle of Bull Run. Um, a musician uh, by the name of James Marshall of Company B, 1st Regiment, Rhode Island, detached militia, took the time to document all of that along the hoist strip which is a strip of fabric along the left side of the flag where it attaches to a pole. So, so the story of the flag is, is written on the flag itself. Yes. Which was okay. He didn't write it on the stripes. He wrote it on this just this hoist strip. And that's usually even where the manufacturer of the flag puts his logo. But anyway, here he took the time to do that, and then he carried the flag at the first Battle of Bull Run. Um, at the time, there was a lot of sentiment going on uh, that we should, the Unionist sentiment was that we should remove the stars for the seceding states. Lincoln was opposed to that. Um, his argument was that they haven't left, we're just having an argument. Uh, and that no stars were to be removed from the flag, which obviously this person didn't because this flag is from 1861 when there was 31 state, I mean 33 states. Um, but here this flag maker left room for three more. What a positive approach to the Civil War. That's fantastic. How did you come across it? Um... I found this flag in the Midwest. I don't remember exactly where. Um, Was it at an auction Proven or a... But the provenance has proved valid. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flag that clearly displays at the time of the Civil War the passion for the flag uh, the fact that the flag maker left room for some more stars. <coughs> because you have to realize that, you know, when we went from uh, uh, 48 to uh, 49 stars back in 1959, 
obviously nobody at home sewed another star on their flag. Uh, just um, uh, the flag makers across the United States and across the world uh, made American flags with 49 stars. And then the same thing happened when there were we went to 50. But back back in toward the Civil War and period before then, um, f flags were handmade. And it wasn't like uh, uh, the woman in the home or the man in the home was going to sit down and sew out a completely new flag with the new number of stars. Uh, one, of two th one of two things happened. They didn't add on the new stars or they just individually added on new stars to the flag that they had. I imagine that could lead to some pretty interesting patterns. Oh, it does. It, I mean, I have a flag that has 36 stars on one side and 37 on the other. I mean, you know, uh, I, wish I, could I wish I could talk to that person and find out if they just uh, had problems counting or uh, what the rationale was. That's the way it happened. Uh, the flag at Fort Sumter, it was a 29-star diamond-shaped design, and uh, uh, four stars were added to it. Um, I have uh, the same flag, although the four stars aren't sewn on exactly the same, but pretty much the same. Uh, but I have one that uh, dates back three years before Fort Sumter. Um, so that, you know, um, states were being added quite frequently then. Uh, so that... Um, to put a new star on the flag, uh, uh, you didn't know when you were going to have to add another one. Uh, when Idaho became the uh, uh, 43rd state on July 3rd of 1890, uh, Wyoming became the 44th state seven days later. Oh, wow. So it really was hard to keep up. It'd be very hard to keep up. I, I like to tell a story that a hundred-year-old person today has only known three f flags, 48, 49, and 50. A hundred-year-old person in 1912 knew 25 flags. Wow. Well, of course, there's still time for us to add numbers 51 and 52 and so on. Right. Well, I have a 52. Do you really? Now, tell, yes. me, tell me about that. Well, somebody wanted to make a flag with a peace symbol on it. Um, and they, I guess, in the final uh, stitching of stars, realized uh, they needed two more stars to make it a uh, uh, peace symbol. To, to fill out the, the pattern. So they so, just invented two new states. Put them on, yeah. Um, but, you know, back over the years with uh, significantly older flags, the other thing that I see frequently is that um, they have maybe nine stripes, maybe they have 11 stripes. I have a couple of flags that have 17 stripes. Um, and if you stand back and look at them from a distance, they look right. And it had to do with the width of the stripe that they used with the general structure of the flag. They sort of sewed stripes on to make it look right. And, you know, it might, they might have ended up with 9, 10, 11, or 17. Um, but then again, it also could have been <coughs> a matter of the amount of fabric they had. Uh -huh. But in any case, it was a, either an aesthetic decision or a practical decision that seemed more important than the, than the symbolism. Yes. Yeah, the symbol was more important than the exactness of it. Yes. What, it, what, um, what's the uh, oldest flag in your collection? Um, I have a 13-star flag uh, that's uh, possibly late 18th century. I have a 14-star flag that is late 18th century. The the flag that you found that started this whole journey off, what happened to that? Um, it's It's been hung on the wall of our home um, since probably a month or two after I bought it, once I had it framed. 
um, keep a light on it. Uh, the only time it has left our home uh, was for uh, the anniversary of 9-11 in Bergdorf's. We loaned it to them. Uh, but other than that, it's always been with us. You're selling the collection now. What um, led you to the decision to do that? Um, just thought that it's time. Um, I've been doing museum exhibitions. I closed three recently, uh, one in Florida, one in New York, and one in Texas. Um, and um, I'm 81. Um, exhibitions uh, with museums, you have to schedule at least three years out. Um, and um, I just think it's time. And um, um, our children are all uh, respectful of the flag, and they all have flag from the collection. Uh, but uh, they all have their things that are important in their lives and that they're doing, and um, um, are not interested in carrying on with the collection and exhibitions and public speaking and all the uh, things involved with it. Certainly plenty of work. Yeah, um, there's been a number of museums that have approached me about the collection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way I gathered this collection is from other collectors and individually from people. And um, uh, I'm giving people the chance to uh, embellish their collections or start a collection. Uh, and I, f I feel good about that. Although I do have, uh, I do have uh, moments of uh, nostalgia and uh, second thoughts about the whole thing. And I said to Pat, my wife, the other night, I said, now I understand why people wait till they're dead to sell their collection. <laughs> but um, can I say it's, it's safe to assume that you're probably holding on to at least some of them? Yes. Um, I'm holding on to the first flag, the one I told you about. It's always been in our home. Yeah. Uh, and I'm holding on to the 14-star flag. And then I also have a few other flags that uh, uh, that I'm holding on to. Well, you can't get rid of everything. No. No. Well, it's a touching story. I appreciate your uh, sharing your collection with um, with me and with our listeners. And I'm excited to see what... Um, what happens at the sale uh, and I, I wish you the best of luck with that I appreciate I appreciate that and uh, I'm excited about it I have uh, uh, great vibes uh, with folks at uh, Freeman's uh, they've been uh, uh, great to uh, work with um, and uh, uh, time will tell well, Dr. Kahn, thanks so much. Um, I, I appreciate your time. Hey, Ben, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. That about wraps up today's show. I've really enjoyed getting a little outside the traditional and, let's face it, sometimes staid world of formal art and decorative art history over the last couple episodes. But don't worry, we'll be back to pediments and provenance and patina and all the rest very soon. In the meantime, today's episode was edited and produced by Sammy Delati. Our music is by Trap Rabbit. My co-host is Michael Diaz-Griffith, and I'm your host, Ben Miller. 